there is something you can do to help fight pornography. And today, on the Orthodox Christian Hour, I'm going to talk to you about that. And the title of what we're going to do today is Help Fight Pornography. Put a picture of this woman on your wall. Welcome to the Orthodox Christian Hour. The Orthodox Christian Hour is brought to you by St. Anthony Orthodox Christian Church, 4321 Eastgate Mall, in the University Town Center area of La Jolla. In a moment, the pastor of St. Anthony, Father John Braun. But first, a bit about Father John. The son of a Presbyterian minister, Father John spoke to literally thousands of college students all across the U.S. and Canada as he worked with Campus Crusade for Christ. Later, he would join seven other courageous evangelical Protestants involved with Campus Crusade who risked stable occupations and security in a search for the historic church founded by Jesus Christ. Amazingly, all came to the same conclusion that the historic church exists today in the Orthodox Christian Church. Father John, as you will hear, is a gifted speaker and authority on Old and New Testaments. His journey has included being director of the Department of Campus Ministry for the Archdiocese and starting many new churches through his work in the Archdiocese Department of Missions and Evangelism. In 1994, he was the founding pastor of St. Anthony Orthodox Church in La Jolla. Today, the Orthodox Christian Church is the second largest Christian church in the world, with over 300 million members worldwide. Father John. Do you ever think back to your childhood and have memories that are really fond, or at least vivid memories about what things were like when you were growing up? Those of you who listen regularly to the Orthodox Christian Hour know that uh, I, the speaker, Father John, am not a young man. I don't consider myself really old, but it's a long time when I look back to my childhood. And the other day I was thinking back to what things were like when I was in junior high school and high school. My dad was the Presbyterian minister at the Knox Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, California. And those were really nice years. I had a wonderful home. I had delightful parents. I was taught the things of Christ every day of my life, literally every single day. And I actually went to church when I was in junior high school and high school about six to ten times a week. And the memories of what church looked like are still really vivid to me. And I can remember walking into the church those hundreds of times during those six years and walking into the church at the Knox Presbyterian Church and looking at the front of the church, and I can see it as clearly as if it were today, I can see Salmon's head of Christ, that sort of Swedish-looking Jesus, Salmon's head of Christ, there right smack dab in the front and center of the church. It's just part of one of those delightful memories of my life. Kind of interestingly, it was a number of years later when I was in seminary in Chicago, I met Warner Salmon, the man who did that painting of Christ. And incidentally, he also did that very, very famous picture of Christ. You remember the one with Jesus standing at the door of the heart? It's sort of like a garden and Jesus is standing at the door of the heart and he's knocking on the door of the heart. There's no knob on the door. It's got to be open from the inside, not the outside. Those are Warner Salmon's two most famous paintings. And as a matter of fact, interestingly enough also, I married a woman who was from the same denomination that Warner Salmon was in, and he used to travel in all those evangelical covenant churches throughout the United States, and, and he would do a chalk, he would do a talk, and he'd do a chalk uh, of, of his head of Christ, or occasionally he would do a chalk of Christ standing at the door of the heart. And I remember going to her home church and seeing that chalk in, in the church. Uh, they had that one in their fellowship hall, a chalk that Warner Salmon had done then when he visited there. 
And as I grew up, I discovered that churches often had a great deal of religious art. I remember we moved uh, shortly after we were married. I went to seminary in Pasadena, California, and I remember so vividly seeing the stained glass windows the Pasadena Covenant Church and seeing scenes from the life of Jesus uh, in the stained glass there. I even remember one day, and, and, and this begins to show where I'm heading today. One day, there was a, a, a hole in, one, in a lamb in the stained glass window in that church. And the pastor and I were looking at that, and then we looked to the other side of the church, and we had a reason And on the opposite wall, there was also a hole. Somebody had driven by our church and fired a gun at that lamb, at that stained glass window, probably either as a prank or perhaps it was even an early hate crime where there was a desire to uh, abuse, to deface a piece of religious art. Now, of course, some of you uh, go to churches where there's no religious art of any kind, and I'll talk about that because you need it, because the fact that you don't have religious art is your religious art, and, and it means that you're lacking something that's very, very important in your life. Now, walk in to an Orthodox church. Now, I know that most of the listeners at this, on this broadcast have probably never been into an Orthodox church. It's really an experience. I surely remember my first visit to an Orthodox church. Uh, There's no question what my first impression was. Whoa, the pictures. That's what you see first. Because walking into an Orthodox church, now I'm talking about an historical Orthodox church. I I know there's the denomination Orthodox Presbyterian, and and there are many, many fine churches in that denomination. But I, I mean an Orthodox church. We often call them Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox. Um, Unfortunately, the adjectives would be better if they, they shouldn't be there. But you walk into an Orthodox church, all of them, all of them will have iconography. They will have religious pictures. And the pictures will always be uh, at least essentially the same. There's going to be a picture of the Lord. And he's always going to be in the same place. And there's going to be a picture of his mother. And there's going to be a picture of the Archangel Gabriel. And there's going to be a picture of the Archangel Michael. We don't call them pictures, and I'll get to that. We call them icons, but they're going to be there. And at my church, the the church that sponsors this broadcast, St. Anthony, there's going to be a picture of St. Anthony there. He'll be there, and virtually always, there's going to be a picture of the man we call the prophet and forerunner and Baptist John, whom most of you know as John the Baptist. Now, you might say, well, why are all, why those there? Well, it should be obvious. You know why the Lord's there, and you know why his mom is there, and you surely know why the angels and the archangels are there, and the St. Anthony's there because he's ours, and John the Baptist is there because Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man born of a woman. And why not have the greatest man according to Jesus who has ever lived? Why not have him there? Now, these aren't all the icons that are there. As a matter of fact, I've been in some churches where almost every single square inch wall is covered with religious pictures. That may be an overkill. But the fact of the matter is, to us The pictures are really important, and it is what is going to strike you first. And, as a matter of fact, they're going to be on what we call an iconostas. That means icon stand, but we like to use fancy words, and so we do it in Greek, and we call it an iconostasis or an iconostas. All that means is icon stand, and maybe even more accurately, we could call it an icon screen. And it it separates the altar area from the main body of the church. And the the icons are on this screen. And if you've never been into an Orthodox church, it's a little hard to visualize. But if you can imagine what an altar might look like, and most of you have been in a Catholic church or a Lutheran church or a church that has an altar or an Episcopal church. Well, if you can imagine 
uh, like even in a Methodist church, those of you have a communion rail. Well, instead of the communion rail, or we, we will have this icon screen. And this is where the icons will be. These pictures. And there won't be uh, a huge number on that icon screen. And there may be icons in the rest of the church. And as a matter of fact, the reason we're discussing this today is because at this time during the season of Lent, we're celebrating a day. We celebrate on the first Sunday of Lent. We celebrate a Sunday that we call the Sunday of Orthodoxy. And the reason we celebrate this day is because in the 8th century, there was a great controversy as to whether there could be icons in the church or not. And a, a, an emperor who was not a godly emperor tried to have all the icons removed from the churches. And as a matter of fact, he succeeded for a number of years. Ultimately, a decision was made by the entire church. We call it the Seventh Ecumenical Council. I mean, that's a whole world, a whole Christian world council. And they got together and they decided absolutely that the truth was that the icons needed to be there. Now, in the 21st century, maybe it's even more important than they're there than it was back in those centuries. Oh, uh, you say those people, you know, they, they couldn't have, they didn't have Bibles because they didn't have printing, and so people didn't have access to it, and they learned so much from the religious art. Well, that's true, but that's not all the reason they were there. But we, ce we celebrate this Sunday of Orthodoxy because it was, that is the celebration of the decision of that whole world, whole Christian world council to bring the icons back into the churches. And since then, <laughs> this is century after century, this day gets celebrated. Well, back to that icon screen, that iconostas, that place where the icons are in the front of the church. What, what we understand by that, and this is terribly crucial, this is where heaven and earth meet. That is, we believe that the divine liturgy takes place in heaven. You remember Jesus with the woman at the well? You remember the discussion they had? And the woman said, well, our fathers say we're supposed to worship on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. You remember that incident? And Jesus said, woman, uh, I'm paraphrasing partially now. He says, you know, it's neither one. But now I'm quoting. He says, the hour has come and now is when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the centuries and, you know, lots of people have their private opinions about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. But we're categorically sure of what we believe it means. It means that worship takes place in heaven, and the only way you get there is in the Spirit. That's why, remember St. John when he was on the island of Patmos, and, and he's writing the book of Revelation, or he's getting the information, and, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day? Well, it means that John, though he was in exile, was in the divine liturgy. He was in the liturgy in heaven. And so, in order that that heavenly uh, imagery, that reality of meeting with God in the heavenlies, with the all-holy trinity, with the angels, the archangels, and, and the great heroes of God, we call them the saints, all the people of God through all the centuries, we meet with them when we worship and we have the icons, the pictures, the holy pictures of some there. So we have this reality. And frankly, it affects our worship dramatically because there's just certain things you do when you have the Lord and his mother there and you have the archangels there and you're joining them. It isn't they who join us. It is we who join them. And it makes our worship have its very unique characteristic so you see the icon screen, the iconostas, the icon stand, this is where heaven and earth meet, and it makes it so real to us. And icons are simply an important part of orthodox worship. Now I'm going to get to what really makes a, 
uh, an icon, an icon before we're through here today. But you need to know that to the Orthodox, their icons are extremely important. And not only are they important to us, but really honestly, folks, we think they're important to you. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's anyone listening to my voice today who does not have icons. You know, the computer age has done a lot with the word icon. I'm not sure I ever heard the word icon when I was growing up. We surely didn't have computers, or if we did, they were those things that had so much paper that ran out of the machines that that, uh, they were sort of like fancy adding machines. But once we came out with Windows, especially, or Macintosh, uh, once they came out with these computers, the word icon just became a standard part of people's vocabulary. Now, the word icon itself, you know, all it means is a picture. It's an image. That's all. It's a Greek word, icon, and it means picture. But we have these pictures. You have pictures in your home. Most of you have pictures in your churches. And the lack of pictures in your church, if you don't have any, that's an icon too. It means you have a blank wall. It means, you're, it means you don't really have a focus. Because, you know, we have five senses. Do you know why we have five senses, by the way? Because the Creator gave us five. Do you know why He gave us five? To worship Him. Above all else, the reason you have five senses is in order to fulfill your purpose in creation, which is to worship God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God gave you eyes. God gave you ears. God gave you taste. God gave you touch. Uh, God, these are given to you. God gave you the capacity to smell. All of these, they are important for your worship. And every one of those senses needs to be involved in your worship of the living God. Today, we're focusing focusing literally on what we see when we worship. And if you don't see anything when you worship, except, you know, the the, the casual wear of somebody next to you or whatever it is, that's an icon too, the, the blankness that's there. But you know, it's interesting when it comes to the pictures we have, all of us, I mean, in our homes... And, uh, you know, I was serious when I started this broadcast, when I said, help fight pornography, put a picture of this woman on your wall. I spent many years of my life in collegiate evangelism. And I spoke to literally hundreds of thousands of college students. And I visited one-on-one with thousands of thousands of college students. I met them in their dorms. I met them in their fraternity rooms. I am not exactly ashamed to say, but I am ashamed of what I saw because what I saw in many, many college dormitory rooms was absolutely a disgrace. I have been in the rooms of guys in college dormitories where there was not one inch of wall, floor, and ceiling that was not covered with pornographic pictures. The instant a guy woke up, The instant his eyes were open, he had images that aroused lust. It's a serious problem. You say, well, it doesn't make all that much difference. That's a problem right there. Because something's already happening to you if nothing happens when you see those images. It means something's already happened and is still happening. But that's what was seen every direction that a person looked in that room. I would very often just try to find a spot to focus my eyes so that I could concentrate because what I was doing in that room was presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, the truth is there were times that guys repented and turned to Christ and the pictures came down off their walls. Those were their icons. No, it wasn't religious art, but They were icons, all right, and they had an influence. Or parents, you parents who are listening today, what are the icons on your kids' walls? Well, for some of you, it's motocross. For some of you, it's maybe cars. But what about the entertainers that are on your walls or your kids' walls? What about the athletes that are on your kids' walls? You know, do you know what's on your kids' walls? It's the things they love most and the people they love best. It's their heroes. 
Well, I want to tell you who one of my heroes is, and he's on my wall. We call him Anthony. Saint Anthony. Anthony the Great. He needs to be on my wall. He's a hero. Now, I'll tell you what's different about Saint Anthony and many of the saints, or for that matter, all the saints, any true saint, they crossed the finish line triumphantly. Many of them were martyrs. Many of them died for their faith. Anthony the Great wasn't a martyr, but he lived an incredible life. His experience with Christ was almost indescribable. Literally went out into the desert to fight demons, and he won. Thousands of miracles are ascribed to Anthony the Great. He is, he is a father of spirituality for all Christians everywhere. And that's what he's called by even Protestants love to call him that. They know he's an important figure. He's a hero. He deserves to be on my wall. You know, I like Kobe Bryant and I'm a Laker fan, but I don't have a picture of Kobe Bryant on my wall. He's a hero maybe in some ways, but he's no Anthony the Great. I don't have a picture of Madonna on my wall, and I don't have daughters. I have five sons, and all my, my youngest son is 35, and my oldest son is 49. But I don't want any pictures of Madonna on my son's walls. I want a picture of a Madonna on my son's walls. I want a picture of Mary on my son's walls. You know, one of my dreams, and I'm going to do it before I die, God willing. I want to go out on a college campus with icons of Mary. And I'm going to put up a booth, and that booth is going to have a sign over it, and it's going to be what I started this radio broadcast with. It's going to be, help stamp out pornography, put a picture of this woman on your wall. If you put a picture, if you put an icon of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put a picture of her on your wall, it is going to have an effect in that room. You'll be really careful what other women are on that wall because the contrast is so great. You may not like the Roman Catholic saying, Holy Mary, Mother of God. But you may not like saying it, but she is Holy Mary. And she is the mother of God. And the angel did say, Hail, thou that art highly favored among women. And she is, no doubt, a teen hero. Because she virtually had to be in her teens when she conceived of the Holy Spirit and bore the eternal Son of God. And she was not just one more woman. She is a very special woman because she became the place where the eternal son of the father, born of the father from all eternity, chose to take flesh and dwell in her for nine months. And you say she's just one more woman? Not on your life. Now, of course, even more importantly, you put an icon, a picture of Jesus Christ on your wall, and it is going to change the way you decorate the rest of that room. It's going to be very difficult to put the vulgar people on your wall. You know, there's entertainers out there that are just obscene. They're obscene in what they sing or play. They're obscene in their gestures. And our kids love to put those pictures on their wall. Those people aren't heroes, folks. Those people are determined to undermine the morals of your children. They're your enemies. And your enemies are the pictures on your kids' walls in many cases. Get real heroes on there. Get people on there they truly need to emulate. They do not need to emulate Madonna. They do not need to emulate Michael Jackson. They do not need to Im uh, imitate these famous people. They need to imitate Christ. They need to imitate his mother. They need to imitate the saints. That is where they will find some holiness. They're going to need God to do that, and you're going to need God to lead them that way. But that is needed. 
Now, I'm not saying they can't have pictures of their cars or anything else on their walls. That's another issue. But I'll tell you what. You have Jesus on your walls. You have his mother on your walls. You have the archangels on your walls. And you put these in your churches. It's going to change things, folks. Because your eyes are going to tell you something. They're going to show you something that's incredibly, incredibly significant. You know, also... In your homes, you're going to have a lot of pictures. A lot of you do. We've got jillions of pictures in our house. I have five children, and I have 14 grandchildren. My wife, incidentally, has the same number. And we have pictures of them all, and we have pictures of them at different ages. I mean, we have pictures of our boys at different ages. We have pictures of our grandchildren at different ages. And, you know, I love having those pictures on there, and, you know, we try to keep it all balanced so that we have some from all the children one kid doesn't feel that his kids aren't up there as much as the other. You know, we're a good family like that. It's wonderful to have those pictures in your home because they remind you. Don't they touch you? Don't they do something about you? You know, we've got a picture that I look at often. It's our wedding picture. I was a child. I was 20 years old. My wife was an old lady. She was 21. But I look at that picture and I can't imagine that I was ever that young. But that picture still does something to me. It still touches me every time I look at this picture. Every single time I see it. Honestly, what I'm impressed with most, I'll be honest with you, what I'm impressed with most at that picture is how beautiful the woman I married was. That's what I see when I look at that picture. I kind of compliment myself. Now, I'm joking a little bit. I'm grateful. I am grateful for this gift that was given to me. This gift that I'm going to be celebrating here in just a few, in a few months, we're going to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. 50 years later, I'm still looking at that picture on the wall saying, my, she's a lovely woman. And over these 50 years, it has really proven to be true. That's an important icon to me. It says something to me about my marriage. It says something to me about other women. I've seen a lot of pretty women in my lifetime. But there's just one that I took to be my wife, and I have her picture, in a sense, an icon. No, it's not a, it's not a religious picture. It's not a true icon, but it has an effect. It has an, an influence on me. And your pictures in your home show where your priorities are. Even the pictures of your family or the lack of pictures in your family have something to say about where your priorities in your life are because God made you to have those five senses and your eyes are so terribly significant in demonstrating your priorities and where the focus of your life is literally. Not just the focus of your eyes, but the focus of your entire life. You're listening to Father John Braun and the Orthodox Christian Hour. Father John is pastor of St. Anthony Orthodox Christian Church three blocks north of UTC on Genesee. I know what many of you are thinking. Do you know how I know what many of you are thinking? Because it's what I thought. I've only been Orthodox for the last 16 years of my life. I was on the journey for a number of years before that. But had I heard this broadcast 30 years ago, I would have said, No way, Jose. I would have said, Not on your life. The Bible clearly says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. It is clear you people are really not truly Christian. You know, you just don't understand your Bible. Or at least you haven't read enough of it. You know, of course, that that verse is from Exodus 20. That is, the commandment, thou shalt not make any graven image of any likeness of anything. Now, you heard me, that was Exodus. That's the book of Exodus. That was chapter 20. Now, do you know what it says in Exodus 25? In Exodus 25, you will find the same speaker. Now, the speaker is the Son of God. You say, how do you know it's the Son of God? Because the Son of God is the Word of God. 
It was the Son of God in the All-Holy Trinity who gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But it is the same speaker who is speaking to Moses in the 25th chapter of Exodus, and very specific instructions are given as to how to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. And I'm speaking here specifically of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, which were the most sacred things in the entire tabernacle in the wilderness. You remember there was this place, this 15-foot cubicle that was the very heart of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the only furniture in this 15-foot cubicle was this box, sort of like the size of a large, of an orange crate, but it was covered with solid gold, and it had a lid on it, and that lid is called the mercy seat. And on either end of that mercy seat, there were cherubim, those are cherubs, those are angelic creatures, and they were made out of solid gold, and they were on the mercy seat. The speaker who said, thou shalt not make any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or earth beneath, had instructions specifically given. He spoke the instructions to Moses. He said, put these images on the most holy place in your entire place of worship. Now, that's dynamite. Furthermore, you go to the next chapter of Exodus, and the same speaker is speaking, and he is describing what Moses is to have done to separate that 15-foot cubicle, the Holy of Holies, from the holy place, which was 30 by 15 by 15. And what Moses was supposed to do there was to have a veil, You remember the veil in the temple that was rent when Jesus was crucified? Well, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a veil there with the same function as the veil in the temple. And on that veil, in Exodus chapter 26, the Son of God, the Word of God, is speaking to Moses, and he tells Moses, I want on that veil images wrought in the embroidery of cherubim. Now, come on, folks. You can't have this kind of a contradiction, if it indeed is a contradiction. You can't have the Son of God speaking the Ten Commandments to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 and saying, you shall not make any graven image, and five chapters later, and six chapters later, giving instructions on how to do it, how to make images. Now, what does it mean in Exodus 20 when he says, thou shalt not make any graven image? That is a something to worship. We were talking about people in those days who were worshiping idols. And people still have their idols today. There are idol worshipers in places in this world. And frankly, folks, there's a lot of people that worship idols that we wouldn't call idols, but the 21st century has its idols too. I mean, there are still physical idol worshipers in this world. There's even people probably listening to my voice today who have their idols that they worship. We even call some of those entertainers our idols, do we not? And we virtually give them worship because we give them the priority in their lives and they are who we want to be like. St. Paul said of Jesus, he said, little children, speaking to the people to whom he's writing in Colossians, he says, I travail in birth over you, as in birth over you, until Christ be formed in you. Well, I guess that's the goal of the Christian. As a matter of fact, in the 8th chapter of, of Romans, St. Paul says, I want you to, I, I, I'm working with you un, until you are conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal of the Christian. Not to be conformed to the image of some entertainer or some great athlete. That's the goal. So here we are with this apparent contradiction. I don't, there is no contradiction, folks. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. You can't have Jesus saying, or the Son of God saying something in one place and contradicting it a a few days later when he's talking uh, to Moses on the mountain. It's the same trip. Moses gets these instructions. He gets the, the the Ten Commandments. 
but he gets the instructions to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. No, this has to do with what we worship. That's what he means when he says, Thou shalt not make any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath. That's what he has in mind there. So having icons in the churches is certainly not a problem. Now, your homes need it too. Your homes need pictures. Students that are listening to this, you need pictures of the Lord in your room. Moms and dads, you need pictures of the Lord and his mom and his saints in your room. Moms, you need pictures in your kitchen. You're listening to the Orthodox Christian Hour featuring Father John Braun. You are listening to the Orthodox Christian Hour, and today we're into really something orthodox. We're into icons. We're into religious art, religious pictures, but special ones. Today, we have something special. And as a matter of fact, today is a very special day for me. I'm Father John Braun, the pastor of St. Anthony Antiochian Orthodox Church in San Diego. But I'm also, as many of you know, because I've mentioned it so many times, I'm the father of five. I'm the father of five sons. And today in our studio, I have with me my second son. My second son is a deacon. He's a deacon in the Orthodox Church. Now, in the Orthodox Church, a deacon is different. And uh, this is my son, Gary, or Deacon Gary. And first of all, um, uh, I don't know whether to call you Gary or Deacon Gary, because technically uh, you are Deacon Gary. By the way, he's Deacon Gary Philip. And the Philip is very important. That's his Christian name. And uh, he's named after Philip. I mean, like uh, the, the disciple. That's who he's named after. So, Deacon Gary, uh, say hello to our folks and tell us a little bit about what it is to be a deacon. What do you do? Well, uh, first, uh, happy to be here and to uh, uh, hear once again the importance of these icons and, and what they mean to us. Uh, basically, a deacon is there to assist in the liturgical life of the church and to assist the priest uh, in the services and essentially anything else that he's directed to do. Uh, actually, that word direct is important, I think, because the deacon does direct the people in the worship. Uh, talking about icons, and the deacon has a stole that he wears, and he lifts it uh, in the worship and uh, points, uh, essentially, to some icons, uh, most often, and um, leads the people. But that's what I do at St. Athanasius Antiochian Orthodox Church in Goleta, California. And that's, for those of you who don't know who or where Goleta is, that's Santa Barbara. Goleta is sort of the bedroom community to Santa Barbara. They're about the same size. Uh, in the Orthodox Church, by the way, deacons are considered clergy. Um, they are ordained, and uh, they do have this very special liturgical function. Every priest has to have been a deacon for at least a day. And sometimes he's a deacon for a lot longer, but he has to be a deacon for at least a day. And a bishop in the Orthodox Church has to have been a, a deacon for at least a day. Uh, and maybe some of them have been for much longer. Now, <clears throat> uh, uh, Deacon Gary, you don't do this as a full-time job. What do you do for a full-time job? What's your vocation? Uh, I work in the property management field uh, with my oldest brother. And uh, we, ascent, well, we run self-storage throughout California and actually across the country. And that is uh, that, and, and uh, I have five children of my own, and also uh, we take care of foster children uh, with my wife, Melissa, who uh, is a pediatric nurse practitioner who, rather than uh, fight the traffic and the rat race of, of hospitals and doctor's offices, uh, is elected to help take care of children who uh, need care uh, in the home. Now, Gary, or Deacon Gary, uh, you were on this journey to orthodoxy with uh, our family, uh, and I know that icons would be an issue to you. I think our listeners would be extremely interested in questions or comments, things that would come to your mind with respect to, to icons. Uh, share with us a little bit what your questions or comments might be. Well, uh, first, I, I think 
we need to settle something right now because uh, you are an archpriest in the Orthodox Church, and normally in a very informal setting, I call you Dad. However, I think in this case, uh, I should... I don't really want to call you Father John. I don't want to call you Dad. I could call you Father Dad, but uh, we'll just try to, to muddle through this. But essentially, what what makes an icon an icon? Uh, you know, you've been talking for some time here about this, but what is an icon? You know, that's a question that has to be asked. Uh, an icon is a very special piece of art. There are all kinds of uh, criteria that go into iconography. First of all, the uh, uh, the person who uh, paints icons is not called an icon painter. He's or she is called an iconographer, an iconographer. That is, they write. They write icons because icons tell a story. Uh, they are stories in pictures. And uh, colors have everything to do with icons and the way uh, the way the images are formed is extremely important we don't do icons uh, though there was a period when there were romantic icons in the church or where there were very realistic pictures like portraits uh, those uh, those aren't generally uh, what we consider icons though I'm not belittling that at all uh, but our icons let me ask you a question, Deacon Gary. If you could find a window and you could look through that window straight into heaven, would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah, I bet you anybody would. That's an icon. An icon is a window to heaven. In fact, we call them that very often. Uh, in the church, in the home, they are windows to heaven. And it, it, it's both ways. It's heaven looking in. It, it's heaven looking into earth and it's earth looking into heaven. Now, the Holy Spirit has to be involved in all this or else, you know, it just gets a little silly. But the fact of the matter is, the icon is a special image in which the icon writer, the iconographer, writes this icon and and he's trying to show you or she is trying to show you something about heaven. About the, and it's why the angels are so important, but it's why the the pictures they do are generally not exactly realistic. I mean, the fingers will be long and narrow, and and um, and uh, Salmon's head of Christ, though it's a beautiful picture, it, it is not what a an iconographer would normally do. Uh, and Jesus won't be in a robe in sandals in Galilee. Not, be, not that we don't believe he was in a robe and sandals of Galilee. But as we used to sing in my dad's Presbyterian church in Berkeley, there was the last stanza of a hymn we used to sing. Hi, King of heaven, thy victory won. May I reach heaven, O bright heaven's son. That's Jesus. He's the bright heaven's son. And the fact of the matter is Jesus isn't in sandals and robe today. He's king. And so Jesus is so often portrayed in the icons. He's king because we're trying to show he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, uh, waiting to come again at his glorious and second coming. And so the icon is, is this window to heaven. And, and Mary isn't portrayed as a, as a cute teenager. She's portrayed as a, as a, as a woman uh, with dignity and everything about her is is given. Yes, there's the aim at beauty, but it isn't trying to create a pretty woman because that's not the focus. And when Jesus is with her and in and, and, and an iconography, Mary's never Mary's never pictured by herself. It's always with the Lord because that's why uh, she's important. It's because of the Lord, and He's never portrayed as a little dinky baby. He looks like a small adult because we want to show that this isn't just a baby. This is God incarnate. And then oh, this isn't all that makes an icon an icon, but for brevity's sake, we're, we're saying that uh, the icons are set apart. They are sanctified. They are blessed. We put things aside you know, Jesus spoke about, remember that passage that most of you didn't underline in your Bible, where this Pharisee, you know, the religious leaders were arguing, they said, well, uh, that 
uh, you swear by the gold of the altar is more important than swearing by the altar. And Jesus said, you guys just don't understand what you're talking about. He said, it's what's uh, on the altar. It, the altar is what sanctifies what's on it. Oh, you mean sets it apart? Yes, things can set apart, apart things according to Jesus. And so you see, we set apart things and we bless them. And these are sacred. These are holy images and we're very careful with them. I'm interviewing today my son, uh, the deacon Gary Braun from uh, Santa Barbara, uh, a deacon in the Orthodox Church uh, who made the pilgrimage to Orthodoxy with us. You're listening to the Orthodox Christian Hour, and uh, we're getting impressions and questions from the deacon Gary, too. What else might you have in mind? Well, I've seen several icons of the same uh, saint, and they don't look alike uh, necessarily. In other words, you know, if you look at a picture, my son uh, was looking at pictures of himself from four years apart, and he made the comment to me earlier today that he hasn't changed a bit in four years. But if you look at a picture of, of an individual, a photograph, you can see obviously features that remain constant. Um, However, when you look at, say, a picture of the mother of an icon of the mother of God that one iconographer has, has uh, done, and then another one a few hundred years later, some things seem to stay consistent, but obviously it's, it almost looks like it's a different person. So how do you connect those two? What, how do these iconographers know what to paint or what to write? You know, it's interesting uh, you say, you, you raise that question. And also, you know, with the icon, and what you're actually talking about is reading the icon. You, you see, we don't just look at the icon, we read it. The iconographer writes it, and we who view the icon read it. And so what the iconographer is trying to communicate is his or her vision. You know, these icons are done with prayer. They are done with great prayer, many with prayer and fasting. There is great earnestness in this. Yes, some of it is actually very great art. Uh, and the truth is there are icons that are fabulously valuable, uh, very, very famous icons done by great artists. And uh, particularly in the Orthodox world, many, uh, many iconographers became very famous because of their magnificent art. But what is being communicated, you know, there's more than one thing that can be communicated uh, about any person. There are so many characteristics that we have, and the, the, the iconographer the, uh, is trying to communicate these things. Though, what the truth is, you normally know just the instant you look at the icon, whether it's an icon of Mary, whether it's an icon of Jesus, whether it's an icon of Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, or the archangel Michael, or whether it's the icon of a saint, you, you know, and, and even there are certain saints that you, you virtually come to recognize. Oh yeah, this is a picture of that one. It's very difficult to mistake an icon of Mary for uh, an icon, let's say, of Mary Magdalene. And we would do icons. We do icons of Mary Magdalene. Uh, a hero of the faith, uh, a, a remarkable woman, and we have many icons of women saints who crossed, crossed the finish line triumphantly. And this is very important. So what it, every icon is trying to communicate in writing, that is, is the icon is written. And it's communicating in the heart, in the spirit, uh, something about or some things about this person. And so what we're looking for is the, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the power of God, because that's what it's all about. Everything's about God. Everything's about Christ. We don't do pictures of anybody other than the fact that, see, we believe that Jesus Christ lives in every Christian. We believe that Mary was the first person who received Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, Savior physically. I mean, she conceived him. And then the apostles and all those of us who have followed since, we have received him. So it's all about him. We don't do icons of anybody in whom Christ does not dwell. It's, it's he who is in them, and it's he who makes it different. It's because of God that all this, this works. 
You know, I wish there were a whole lot more time and we'll have to do another day where we talk more about icons. You've been listening to the Orthodox Christian Hour and, you know, you say, well, Father John, why did you do all this today? You know, the truth is, folks, you need icons. They will affect your home. They will affect your thought. Even put one on your car. Now, this isn't a plastic Jesus necessarily, though, frankly, people have made fun of those. They shouldn't. You shouldn't make fun of the Roman Catholic who has that image. Don't ever make fun. Don't ever make fun of something that speaks of Christ. And you need those things that speak of Christ to you and of his people, of the family of God, the kingdom of God. Your heroes should be those. They're the people that need to be your heroes. It will affect your spiritual life. It will change the way you think. It will focus you on the Lord Jesus Christ in a remarkable fashion. Let icons become a part of your life. You've been listening to the Orthodox Christian Hour, brought to you by St. Anthony Orthodox Christian Church, 4321 Eastgate Mall, La Jolla, just three blocks north of University Town Center on Genesee. Father John can be heard each Sunday, noon to 1 p.m. on KPRZ, and you're cordially invited to hear Father John in person, Sundays, 9.30 a.m. at St. Anthony Church, 4321 Eastgate Mall in La Jolla. We'd love to hear from you about your questions and concerns. Just call St. Anthony at 858-458-0992. That number again is 858-458-0992. As always, thanks to all of you for being with us today on the Orthodox Christian Hour. And now... Father, give us your blessing. May the blessing of the Lord and his mercy come upon you through his grace and love for mankind always, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. <laughs>